Well, um, there is something that does not look good on anybody. I mean, nobody should, should be seen with this. Nobody should wear this. And the thing is, is this. Self-righteousness, right? Self-righteousness. Now, when you, we think of self-righteousness, right, we think in like religious terms, right? Like self-righteous people. But the truth is, is you can be self-righteous about pretty much anything. And, and the thing is, is self-righteous people, self-righteous people are rarely aware of how they make other people feel. But you've all been around a self-righteous person before, haven't you? Right. I mean, self-righteous people, when they walk into the room, when they walk into a party, you're like, oh, boy, Judgy McJudgerson is here. Okay, this is going to be a fun family dinner. This is going to be a fun party. This is going to be a fun meeting, right? Because self-righteous people, I mean, they just they make you feel that way because it, just, it feels like they, they look down on you, right? And the thing is with self-righteousness, if you don't know what self-righteousness is, here's what it is. It's when you, you feel like you are so right about something that, that you in, in, internalize it and then put it on other people. Or another way to put it is our rightness is so internalized, it becomes part of our identity. So I'm so right about something that I internalize it, and then when I meet somebody who has a different belief, a different opinion, a different viewpoint... I internalize it on them. And then what happens is I begin to have this thought in my head that that I'm so right that there's something righter about me than you. Right? Yeah. I, I I am righter than you. Or for some of you, it's I'm lefter than you. You guys see what I did there, right? There's something righter about me than you. And so what happens is, is the people who don't think like you, believe like you, have the same viewpoint as you, you look at them as unright or unrighteous. So we've all met these people before. But, but here's, here, here's the scary thing. Here, here's, here's the thing, because we all have viewpoints, right? And today, our culture is so much, it's built on identity, right? It's built on identity. It's built on if you're going to have this viewpoint, if you're going to have this belief, then, then you have to take on this identity, and you have to defend our team. And when you meet people who are against our team or don't believe like our team, you need to straighten them out because they are the enemy, But here's the thing. Here's the thing you have to be aware of. When a viewpoint about anything becomes an excuse to be disrespectful to another person, you may be right, but you're not righteous. I'll say it again. I'll say it again, okay? You may be right. Your side may be right. Your team may be right. Your political party may be right. Your church, your religion may be right. But when you use it as an excuse to be disrespectful to other people, you're not righteous. You aren't righteous. A little bit more on that when we get in here. But if you are just joining us today, we are in part five of our series called Finding 
Jesus. And what we've been talking about is, is why, why, why we follow, who we follow, what in the world is this about? Because there's just tons of people out there who you know, have their, their, their hand on the doorknob ready to walk away from faith, who have deconstructed their faith, who are giving up on their faith. And so those people, their, their, their biggest hang-ups is, number one, the hypocrisy of the church. I mean, there's, there's more podcasts, there's more shows, there's more stories about the hypocrisy of the church out there than, than I can even count. But then also, too, the Bible. I mean, is God real? Is this who God is? Did Noah really get two of every kind on the ark? I mean, all of these questions start to get people to deconstruct their faith and think that, well, man, if everything rises and falls on the accuracy or the inerrancy of Scripture, then I mean, there's tons of it. I don't really get that. I don't believe that. But here's the good news. The good news is, is that Christianity rises and falls on an individual Jesus. We don't have Jesus because there's a Bible. We have the Bible because there's a Jesus. And we aren't Christians because we're Jews. I don't think there's any Judeans here, okay? Maybe if you're a descendant of Abraham, welcome, grab a donut. We're glad you're, glad you're here, okay? But here's the thing, is the only reason we even have a Bible is because of Jesus. The only reason we're even a part of it is because Jesus reached out beyond the Judeans and into the Gentiles, and that's who we are. We're not Jews, it's the, that's, the, that's it. And so whenever we're asking ourselves, is God real? Is the Bible true? Let me tell you something. Those are off-ramp conversations. Those conversations, they're fun to have. I'll have them with you all day. I'll debate with you all day. I'll have fun with you all day. I love reading those books. Those are entertaining books. But the thing is, is those are off-ramps to faith. If you're really trying to figure out who we follow, why we follow, and questions like that, the questions we have to ask are about Jesus. So when we're looking at Jesus, the question that we should really be asking, and let me tell you something, if you, if you know somebody who, who does not follow, if you know somebody who does not have faith or have deconstructed their faith and they have all these questions, this is the only question that matters, and I will defend that all day. This is the question that matters. Is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or, not and, or John a reliable account of actual events? Because if Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, take any one of them, is true about Jesus, then game on. Faith on. Then I have a reason to stay at the table and continue to seek and discover. Because at the end of every single one of those Gospels, it tells me that Jesus came and was God on earth. And that he died for my sin. And because of him, and because he was raised three days later, I can have life in him, and that if I believe in him, eternity is promised to me. If any of that is true, then I should lean in. Then I should pay attention. Then the words of Jesus are worth investigating. And the good news is, is that we do have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we've been looking at just Luke and the, the, the gospel of Luke is amazing. Luke wasn't one of the disciples. He was a doctor. But guess what? He knew all the guys who were there and the girls. He knew them all. And so he interviewed them, and he wrote this account. He said many people have written an account, which is crazy in itself. Because there's not even an account of Pilate. There's not even an account of Herod. There's not even an account of Caesar's life. Why did they take it? Why did anybody, not, why did even a single person take an account of a Judean day laborer from Nazareth? Because he did something extraordinary. It was so extraordinary that it was good for every single person. It says, he, so he says, many people have written up an account. 
And again, when Luke was writing this account, he wasn't writing uh, the Bible. They didn't meet at Panera Bread and go, we need to write this. This is great. We could sell a million copies. Maybe one day every hotel could have one. No, that's not what they did. He was writing an account, a letter to a man named Theophilus, a very rich follower of Christ. And he writes him this letter. And when he writes him this letter, he tells him something so, so important. He says the reason why he's writing the letter in the very first chapter. He says this, I'm writing you so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Because at that point, it was rumors, it was stories, it was just take it by faith. And Luke says, you don't need to take it by faith. Who told you that? You don't need to take it by faith, brother. There's proof. There's evidence. You can find Jesus, and here it is. Here's what happened. Here are the stories. Here's what he said. I have it all written down. I have interviewed everybody, and these, these material witnesses have come forward. And, and so here it is, so that you may know for certainty the things that you believe. And it was amazing. And what we learn when we go through the Gospel of Luke is that it's not so much what Jesus did that was special or important, it was who Jesus claimed to be. He claimed to be God on earth. He claimed that, that he had been given all authority on earth and in heaven. He, he claimed that the, the disciples at one point, they said, we want to meet the Father. We want to see God. God bless you. Uh, we want to see him. And, and Jesus goes, well, you've seen him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've met me, you've met the Father. And what was amazing is that because of who Jesus claimed to be, we for the first time ever found things out about God that we had never known or seen. And the amazing thing is, is that Jesus claimed to know what God is like and who God likes. And all of a sudden, we had a, an open view for the first time ever of who God truly might be. And so, that brings us to Luke chapter 15, where we find out exactly how God views every single person. So, this is what happened. It says, now, the tax collectors and sinners. Notice how they're in two different categories. Tax collectors, sinners. Okay, because on the scale of evil scumbag, there's sinners, and there's tax collectors, okay? Tax collectors, very, very bad. Okay, they're worse than sinners. The scum of the earth, okay? So we have all these people, all, the, all these people, all these people, tax collectors and sinners are gathered around Jesus. I've said this so many times in this series, and seriously, you need to read the Gospels for yourself. How amazing is it that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus? Where in the world did the church go wrong? Because if you go out there and poll people or ask people, what do you think about Christians? They go, oh boy, let me tell you, right? But back then, back then when Jesus was around, people who were not like Jesus liked Jesus. Amazing, huh? So anyway, they're gathered around Jesus. And then it says they were all gathered around to hear Jesus. And then came the Pharisees and the teachers, right? So now here comes the, the other folk, okay? Here come the religious folk. And it says that the Pharisees and the teachers came, and they, they muttered. They muttered. Anybody been a part of a church where the Christians muttered, right? I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up around muttering, okay? When it's quiet, I turn music on because I hear muttering in my ears, all right? 
Yeah, we've all heard some Christians mutter, all right? Well, that's what was going on. The, the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the righteous were muttering. And what are they muttering about? I mean, they're really bothered by Jesus, really bothered by Jesus. And one of the main things that they muttered about is they said to themselves, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This guy, who does he think he is? Keep going out to Chick-fil-A and buying all these sinner sandwiches, all right? Who does this guy think he is? And what is this guy about? He is just, he is so against the grain of what we are trying to do here. So for a minute here, I want you to think about this, okay? So Jesus is teaching, and he's got, he's got both sides. He's got the self-righteous and the unrighteous. He's got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the self-righteous, and then he's got the unrighteous. Time out for just a second. Which one are you in the story? I'll, I'll go first. I'm self-righteous, okay? I'm self-righteous. I'm the guy that looks at other people and goes, y'all, y'all are idiots. Let's switch. I don't know why. Why in the world would you do that? Why, why, why would you behave that way? Why would you do that? Why would you believe that? You really believe that? Are you kidding me? Are you out of your mind? Why would you parent that way? Why would you let a child? No, why, why? Okay, that's, that's me. That's, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's hard. It's hard. And our world has done nothing but gotten smaller. And so it's so easy to view and to peer into people's lives and to know their opinions. And so I'll be honest with you. A lot of times, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that, that, that's, that's a bit self-righteous, you know? And I, I have to bite my tongue. Now, go, let's see. How many self-righteous people are in the room? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Raise them up. There, raise them up. Yeah, some of y'all are proud. We'll talk. We'll talk later, okay? Uh, now, then there are the unrighteous. Now, before you raise your hand, um, here's who the unrighteous are. I'll define it for you. The unrighteous are the people who have gotten to a point in life where they look in the mirror and they don't know who they are anymore. Where they look in the mirror and they go, I, I don't even see myself anymore. I, I, I don't understand. I, I, I feel so far away from God. I feel so far away from God, and the thing is, is that I, I, if, if I did go back to God, I, I don't know if he would accept me. I, I've, been, I've traveled down such a road. I've had such a journey. My past, there's so much red in my ledger. I, I don't know if God would ever even want me back. I don't know if God would forgive me. I don't know if he, he has any interest in me. That's what an unrighteous person is. How many unrighteous people are here in the room? It's okay if you're a little bit of both. So here we have Jesus teaching, self-righteous and unrighteous people. And then Jesus says he has him, has them, and he has these two groups. He sees this awesome opportunity to tell people what God is like. And so he says this to him. He says, suppose, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and, and loses one of them. Suppose, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Now, you guys hear this, and I, and I know you, you do not understand this at all, because none of you are, are sheep people, okay? So none of you have lost a sheep or anything. You don't see anything. So I want you to think in terms of children and credit cards, okay? <laughs> okay? So suppose, suppose you have two children and two credit cards, and you lose one of them. Okay? All right. Now you're with me, right? Okay? 
Jesus says this, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And of course, the audience is listening to this and they go, well, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course you would. And I mean, of course you would, right? I mean, number one, right? When you think in terms of categories, nobody categorizes their children or credit cards as unlost, right? You, you, you know where they are. They're found, okay? But when you lose one, what happens? You divert all of your attention and you go looking for them. You don't go, well, I still have my 8-year-old and my visa, so I could leave my 12-year-old and my MasterCard. And, you know, 50-50, still winning, you know? No, you don't do that. You leave it and you go and you find it because it's valuable to you and it's lost and it needs to be found. It's very interesting. And then Jesus says this. He says, I, I tell you this, that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And let me tell you what they heard when they heard that word repent. What they heard in that, in that translation is reconnect. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who reconnects with God more than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent or to reconnect. And the people are listening to this, and they're going, are you, are you telling me that, that God values people, sinners, the unrighteous? Yeah, that's right. And, and are you telling me that, that when he thinks of them, he, he doesn't view them as unrighteous, but he views them as, as lost, lost people, lost valuables that need to be found? And Jesus is going, yes, that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly what I'm saying. And the people who are listening to this are going, that's not how we view lost people. That's not how we view unrighteous people. And Jesus is going, yeah, I know, I know. You don't view, go to that next one. You don't view those people as lost valuables. You, you view them as lost causes. Ouch. Yeah. You don't view them as lost valuables. You, you view them as lost causes. So that kind of hits the crowd a little different, and Jesus keeps going. He keeps tell, telling another parable. He goes, or suppose a woman. Now, hold up just a minute. You may not know this context, okay? But at this point in time in history, the context is, is that women are traded like property. Women are traded like property. I mean, they're, they're, they're viewed almost nearly as slaves. Women didn't have rights, and if you were here last week, we talked about the Good Samaritan. Remember, there was a huge racial divide between Judeans and Samaritans. Samaritans were viewed as the low of the low. And in every single one of par these parables that Jesus tells, there's a God figure. There's a hero to the story. And so last week, just earlier, Jesus makes a Samaritan a, the hero of the story. He makes a Samaritan the God figure of the story. And now he goes, women! And all the women are like, he's talking to us. Nobody talks to us. Nobody uses us as an example. Are we about to be the hero of the story too? Holy cow. And I'm telling you this. Here's the thing. If you are on the fence about Jesus, 
If you are on the fence about Jesus, but you believe that there should be equality in this world, that all lives matter, that black lives matter, that Samaritan lives matter, that equality matters, that women's rights matters, that we are all equals, then let me tell you something. You should be a fan of Jesus because Jesus is a fan of you. And the only reason, the only reason today, it's, it, it's self-evident to us, but the only re- reason equality is self-evident to us today is because of Jesus. It's the only reason. Because you cannot give me another spiritual figure. You cannot show me another Savior who fought for the rights and the equality of all people like Jesus did. But Jesus, man, Woo! He put some lines in the sand back then, making a Samaritan the hero of the story, using a woman in a sermon example. Woo! But he does it. And so he says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And all the ladies are going, "Uh uh-huh, they do. I would. You wouldn't know, Bob. You're not a man. Sit down. He's talking to me. So he addresses all the women in the room. Makes makes the women the God figure in the story, the hero in the story. And all the women are going, my goodness, who is this man? Then, Then we get to the most popular. Maybe the most popular parable of all. And you know the story. If you, if you open up your Bible, it'll, it'll say the, the prodigal son or the lost son. And, and it was the story of a man, a man who had two sons. And, and the younger son wanted his father to die. He wanted his father to die so that he could have his inheritance and so he could do whatever he wanted with his life. But the thing is, is the dad just wouldn't die quick enough. And so... You know, the, the, everybody's listening to the story, and they already got an opinion about this, this son who wants the father to die. I mean, they're looking at this, and they're going, this, this, this boy is evil. That's, you know, back then, if you took, they, they followed the, the Judean law. This, this is equal to murder. This kid's a murderer just before wanting his father to die early. He's a murderer. He's terrible. And so the boy, he cannot wait long enough for his father to die. So he just goes to his father. And the younger one, he goes to his dad, and he says, Father, give me my share of the estate. You, you are not dying quick enough, so just go ahead and give it to me. And all the parents there in the audience are sitting there, and they're going, oh, my goodness. Like, nah, that, t- t- this kid ain't getting hit that. You're, you're out of your mind. I would never do that. You would never do that. Jesus, please, please tell me that he's not going to do that. And Jesus goes, you know what the dad did? The dad divided his property between them. Sold off ev- half of everything he had, gave half of it to the son. Let him go do what he wants. And everybody's sitting there going, what a dumb parenting mistake. How stupid. Why why in the world would you do that? But if you've listened thus far, you understand why he would do that. Because the father would say, you don't understand. It's about reconnecting with my son. My son is lost. My son, I don't, I've lost a relationship with him, and I, I am willing to do anything to get him back. Yeah, but that's not a wise thing to do. It's not about being wise. I don't care if it's wise. I'll do anything to have my son back, and if this gets me closer, so be it. 
and you learn very quickly that it didn't work, right? Because everybody knows this story. Everybody knows that the son runs off, and what's he do? He spends the money. Son go runs off, spends the money so quick, spends the money on horrible things, unrighteous things. Goes off, spends the money so quick, and then all of a sudden, the world gets into chaos and a famine strikes, right? Another pandemic. Here we go. Something completely out of control. Famine hits, and some of us, we don't understand what famine is. Famine means there's no food. There's no food. Zero food. So there's no food. He's spent all of his money. He is done. And so he has to get a job. <gasps> right? There's no bailout. So he's got to get a job. So he goes and he gets a job. And the only job he can find is that of a pig farmer. Let me tell you something. Pig farmer. Low as you could go. He's eating the pig's food. He is now a pig farmer. He has gone to being the son of, of a rich estate, and now he, all of a sudden he, 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 he can't, he's, he's just got to eat with the pigs, and he's got to work this farm, and it's terrible, and his life is terrible, and he just he hits rock bottom. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Everybody in that audience, they're listening to this, and they're going, I love this story. This is my favorite parable. This is, this is so, so good. I love this parable because they're like, yes, the boy, he's reaping what he sows. See, he didn't love his father, and, and he did terrible things. He was so disrespectful, and now he's getting what he deserves. I love this. This is great. Let me ask you something. Do you do that? Do you, when people make unwise decisions, and then they have to reap what they sow, do you, do you get just a little bit of joy? Do you like seeing people kicked off their podium? Do you enjoy watching people fall and get what they deserve? Because if you do, that's exactly what this audience is feeling at this time. And then Jesus is going to turn a sharp corner here on them in just a second. So then the boy, all of a sudden, it just, it just hits him. He goes, what am I doing? I'll just go home. I, I just need to go home. He makes this decision, I need to go home. And he, and he says to himself, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And he, and he says to himself, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he rehearses this in, in his head. He goes back and goes, you know what? I will start from the bottom if I have to. I will go back. Don't even have to claim me as a son. Just make me one of your servants. Anything is better than this. I, it is time for me to go home. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. For somebody here today or somebody listening to this online, it is no mistake that you are here today because you have done things your way for a very, very long time. And things have happened in the world that you had no control of, and it just laid more on top of you, and it hit you so hard. And here's the thing, for somebody listening today, somebody whose marriage has failed, somebody who's like, I don't know what I'm doing with my kids anymore, I am lost, I am struggling, I am addicted, I am in pain, for somebody here today, I want you to hear this, you can go home. You can go home. You can open up your heart and you can repent and you can want to reconnect and you can go home. And so the lost son, he decides, I'm going home. Now, some of you know the story. 
But imagine for a minute you don't, okay? Imagine you're in that audience and the boy is going home. What, what do we think Jesus is going to tell us? How do you think the story is going to end? Let me ask you, if you were the father, what would you do? Let me ask you this, if you were the son, what would you hope that he would do? And then all of a sudden, we are about to get a snapshot of what God is really like. And this is so important because everybody who's standing there, again, we have the self-righteous, we have the unrighteous, we have the teachers of the law, we have sinners, we have tax collectors. We got this eclectic group of a little bit of everybody, and they're all, they've all been wondering in their head, what is God like? What will God be like? The unrighteous are going, what would God do if I came home? The self-righteous are going, I wonder what God would do if he got his hands on an unrighteous person. And nobody really knows. They have sometimes, in some ways, they have the same kind of opinion as us that, well, if we look at the Old Testament, if we look at the Jewish history, uh, that God is kind of lightning strikey, kind of mad, kind of rigid. I mean, I, I kind of judgy, you know, I mean, geez, I don't know. I, we don't know. And so all of a sudden we get this clear, clear snapshot of what God is really like. And I love, I love what Paul says because Jesus was God on earth. And Paul says, you know what? Everything, everything before Jesus, everything before Jesus was a shadow of the things were, were, that were to come. But the reality, however, is found in Christ. Everything in the old, everything in the Jewish history, it was the way it was to get us to Jesus. And he goes, all that stuff before, look, that is not a very reliable place to look if you want to look for who is God and what is God is like. Let me tell you, if you are trying to figure out God and if God is real and if God is for you or what God is against, then you got to start with Jesus because everything before Jesus was a shadow. The reality of who God is is found in Christ Jesus. Let's look at what John said. John put it this way. He goes, what happened is, is the word became flesh, and it made its dwelling place among us. We had no idea what God was like. We had no idea who God was for. It was all very confusing. It was a means to an end, and it got us there, and that end was Jesus. And now the word has become flesh. The word, it, it is among us. And we have seen the glory. We have seen God, the glory of all of it. And it came in his son who is full of grace and full of truth. And you can't ignore that. You cannot battle that with scripture. You cannot try to compare the old with the new. The reality is Jesus was king on earth. And until we got Jesus, we didn't know who God really was. But now we do. And he's about to tell us exactly what God would do if the unrighteous would come home. So the boy goes home. The boy goes home, and it tells us this. But while he was still a long way off. Oh, I love that. Oh. Because how many times do we at the church do this? He's getting a little closer. He's getting a little closer. He didn't post anything weird on Facebook this week. That's good. 
He's getting a little closer. He's getting a little closer. I'm going to wait till he's right here until I hug him. Right here. No, 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 no. That's not what God does. That's not what God does. When they're a long way off. Well, wait a minute. We need to wait till their behavior is perfect. No. While they were a long way off. Well, wait a minute. They haven't proved that they're trustworthy. Mm-mm. While they were a long way off. Yeah, but they've made a... Man, if you, if you knew how much red was in their ledger, how many bad things, I think we ought to wait. I think we need to do some background checks. I think we need... No, while they were a long way off. See, the thing is, is God cares about people when they are a long way off. There is no line in the sand where they pass it. That that is when we accept them. That is where we love them. That is where we show them grace. No, while they were a long way off. And then it says this. While he was a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with for him. Let me ask you something. How do you feel about the people who are a long way off? What, what would you fill that little blank in with? Anger? Disappointment? Distrust? You tell me, what would you fill it in with? That family member, that son of yours, that daughter of yours, that father of yours, that neighbor of yours, that coworker of yours, that person you read about in the news that you don't even know, but you've already made a judgment about them based on the one little Facebook article that was posted. How do you feel about that person who's a long way off? Because the father, the father, when he was a long way off, was filled with compassion. He was filled with compassion. And then it says this, and then, while he was still a long way off, he was filled with compassion and he ran to his son. He didn't wait for his son to get to him. He went and left where he was to go to his son. He met him halfway, if not even more. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son, he's been working on his speech. He's been rehearsing it the whole way home. He's been working on it the whole way home. He's saying, when I get there, all right, Father, I don't deserve this. I've done nothing good. You don't have to count me as your son. You don't have to. And, and the son starts to say, he goes, Dad, I need to tell you something. And then all of a sudden, the, 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 the father says, he goes, the son, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven on earth to you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says this. The father says, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's, let's feast and celebrate. What? Huh? Why? And the father says this. The father says, for this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and now he ha- is found. Let's celebrate. Let me tell you something about God. God doesn't view people as good and bad, right or wrong, just and unjust. That's how you view people. That's how I view people. You want to know the two categories God puts people in? God says they're either lost or they're found. 
lost or found. And let me tell you something. In that parable that we just read, that word lost, that word lost in the Greek, it's this. It's this word right here, apolumi. Say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Apolumi. You're going to sound so cool when you say that to somebody, right? Well, apolumi, you know what I mean? They're going to go, what? I went to church today. Not a big deal. Anyway. Apolumi. Let's say it one more time. One, two, three. Apolumi. Do you know where else? This Greek word shows up. This Greek word shows up in probably the most famous scripture verse there is. And it gets you to thinking maybe the most famous verse that we all know and that people who don't even go to church know was actually mistranslated. Let me read it to you. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son and that whoever believes in him shall not, say it with me, apolumi, but have eternal life. Let me put it in context for you. This is what this verse really says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not be lost, but have eternal life. God views people as lost and as found. Now, if you know the story, you know that there's another character, right? It's me. It's the son. It's the son who did nothing wrong, right? It's the son, you know, who's like me, who didn't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls that do, right? I mean, he was full-blooded. You never heard that one before? Oh, boy. Let me tell you, the Christians have tons of bad jokes. I'll tell them all to you. (laughs) But the story continues, and then the son throws, throws a fit, and he says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. I've been such a good boy, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I have been so good to you, Dad. I've done nothing wrong. And then he says, but when this, when this son of yours, he can't even call him his brother, but this son of yours, he had nothing to do with me. But this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fatted calf for him. This is ridiculous. This is a joke. And the father looks at him. And I love the father's response. The father says, but, but we had to celebrate. We, we had to celebrate and be glad. We, we had no choice. We had to. We had to because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and and he was found. Don't don't you see? Don't you see that we had had no other option? We we had to. We have to celebrate him. Again, not not because his behavior is perfect. Not, Not because he's proven himself. We have to celebrate because... He was lost, and he is found. Let me ask you a a question. Do you you get disgusted with lost things? Do you get disgusted with lost things? When When you lose... misplace your phone, lose your keys, lose a credit card, lose... Do you get... do you get angry at it? 
No, you don't, you don't get angry at it. You don't get disgusted. So, so then why do you get angry and disgusted at, at, at people who may believe differently than you? Why, why do you get angry and disgusted who, for people who, who vote different than you? Why, if somebody doesn't want to get vaccinated or does want to get vaccinated, why, 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 why do you treat them like they're disgusting? Why, if somebody wants to wear a mask, you, you, you treat them less than? Why, why do you make fun of them? Why do you look down on them? When somebody chooses to do something with their kid and parent their kid a certain way and make a decision, why do you, why do you look down on them? Why do you look at them like you're disgusted with them? Why, when somebody makes a mistake, do you look at them like you're disgusted with them? Uh, is the reason is because you're self-righteous. And you may be right, but when you're self-righteous, you're not righteous. What if we would start to view people who are different than us as lost? What if we viewed people as lost and found? Not right or wrong. Not Republican and Democrat. Not vaccinated or unvaccinated. Not black or white. What if, what if it was just there's lost and there's found people? And what if we treated them with the same value that God seems to have for them? And let me tell you something else. Some of you know lost people and you don't care. Some of you know that your family's lost, that your friends are lost, but you don't want to stir the pot, so we're not going to talk religion and politics. Where is that going to get them? Is that going to get them found? If you know someone is lost, do you not go looking for them? And I know, I know what you're going to say. Because, man, if there were top five questions I've been asked as long as I've been a pastor, this is the one. But how much is too far? I tell you what, more people have bought me dinner at Applebee's over this question. But, but how much is too far? Let me tell you something. For 12 years in ministry, I've answered this question. I'm done. I'm never answering this question again. How much is too far? But what about the guy on the side of the road? I don't know if he's going to go buy drugs with it or not. I don't know about this guy. I don't know if he can be trusted. How much is too far? Where's the line, Pastor? Look, I'm done answering the line because you know what? I don't know where that line is. That's between you and God. But I will tell you this. If you want to ask how much is too much, let me tell you how far Jesus went for you. Jesus gave his entire life to reconnect with you. So you tell me how far is too far. And when it comes to the lost, when it comes to, there's this question that, that I put in front of the leadership team that was given to me years ago. How much is the next generation worth? I've had people literally leave my church and send me an email. It just seems like you, you care more about the lost people than you do about the tithers who are keeping the lights on in this place. Well, excuse me. When it comes to the lost, I will gladly leave the 99 in the church to go looking for them. 
And when it comes to how much the next generation is worth, let me tell you something. You have no idea how much I am awake at night trying to figure out what we need to do to reach this Gen Z generation. This generation that your kids and your grandkids are growing up in. The generation that is in high school, middle school, in grade school right now. I have a daughter in the middle of it. And I lay awake and I have phone calls. I had a phone call with Ashley on the way home from a conference yesterday. Ashley, we have to address this. We have to figure this out. But nobody else has. Then we have to be the first. Because how much is this next generation worth? Everything. And I will do anything short of sin to make sure that my kids and your kids are always found in Christ. I don't want to lose a single one of them. So where are you? Number one, if you're on the fence, if you're looking for Jesus, if you're trying to find Jesus, let me tell you something. Jesus revealed to us who God is is. And if there's anything that we've learned, it's that God is recklessly in love with you. <laughs> he's love, he's in love with you to a point where it's stupid. He's in love with you to a point knowing full well that you wouldn't do it perfectly, that you would continually make mistakes, that he sent his son to die for you. How crazy is that? He would literally take everything that he has split it in half and give it to you and let you run off and do whatever you want. Why in the world would he do that? Because he wants to reconnect with you. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants to be your father in heaven. And he wants you to not find your identity in politics, to not find your identity in a group, to not find an identity in your sexuality, or to find an identity in anything else that the world is selling. What God's hope is that you would find your identity in Him and in His kingdom. And then you wouldn't follow what, what this group is doing or what everybody's saying you should do or whatever the agenda is, but that you would follow the agenda of the kingdom of God, which is for everyone. Is that you? Does that sound like a God worth following? Does that sound like somebody you would be willing to? To give your life to? Let me tell you something. I have chosen to follow. And I've given my life to it. And it's made my life better and it's made me better at life. And that's what I think God wants for you too. If you would be willing to follow. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, we thank you this morning. Jesus, we, we thank you for coming to this earth and giving us a glimpse of what God is like. 
who God is. God, would we this morning consider following you? Would we consider what you did on the cross for us? Would, you, would we consider accepting that, recognizing that, giving you our life? Father God, for some of us today, we, we've been self-righteous for a long time. But the truth is, is that every single one of us have been that prodigal son. Every single one of us have been that lost son. And you, when we came back home, you ran to us. You had compassion for us from a long way off. And you ran after us and you wrapped your arms around us. It would be hypocritical of us to not do that for the person next to me. It would be hypocritical of me to not do that for the neighbor next to me, for the coworker next to me. Would you help me to have a compassionate heart for other people? Would you help me to do what is necessary to reach this next generation? To love them in the way that you have loved me, God. God, your, your love is reckless. It is wild. It is something I have never been able to understand. But I hope, I hope that I can live it out. To honor you. To obey you that my identity would be found not in anything else that this world has to offer, but that my identity would be wrapped up in you. We love you, God, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.